What does the future hold for Israel? Will she be destroyed? The answer to that is no. World leaders all agree a negotiated two-state solution is the only thing that will solve the Israel-Palestine conflict. Well, prophecies foretell a peace agreement will be signed in the near future that will result in this scenario. We will analyze the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks like you've never heard it on this edition of End of the Age. There is turmoil in Israel, prompting questions of the entire region's future. But Bible prophecies provide the answer. Over the next two segments, we will look at a couple different portions of the prophecy with a date on it, like we've never taught it. The prophecy of Daniel 70 weeks of years in Daniel 9, verse 24 through 27, it contains one of the greatest prophecies ever given anywhere in Scripture. It is the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks of years determined upon the Jewish people. The prophecy foretells the time of the first coming of the Messiah, also the second coming of the Messiah. And it covers a period of 2,500 years or so of human history, even to our future. And this shows us how great this particular prophecy would become. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 states this. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's a lot in this prophecy in there. It goes on to say, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build the, uh, build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times, after threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happened in 70 AD. And the end thereof will be with a flood. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And here it is. This is a future prophecy. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. So it starts with the going forth of the the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, all the way back with probably with King Cyrus, close to 2,500 years ago. And it ends just ahead of us, you and I now, just ahead of us. So it spans almost 2,500 years. 
Now, there are six events. I'll get to the peace agreement in just a moment, but there are six events listed that portray the role of Messiah when he comes. Number one, finish the transgression. In Romans chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. The, the Bible says that the Messiah will finish the transgression. And this scripture says, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. The question is, are we under the law today? Romans 6.14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. This is a principle that's taught throughout the New Testament. No law, no transgression. Jesus came and took away the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, nailing them to his cross. And he, he came to make an end to transgression. Are we under the law? Well, many people, they really wrestle with this question. Romans 10, 4, the Bible says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Colossians 2, 14, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Galatians 5.18 But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. The strength of sin is the law. Jesus came to nail the law to the cross and deliver us from the law. You know, we can say and act like uh, we are led by the Spirit, but the disciples were not led by the Spirit until they received the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. Every human being on earth needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We all desperately need the Holy Ghost. Jesus instructed his disciples the day he ascended up into the sky, go back to Jerusalem and tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. The key to end time revival is for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We don't, we don't need to just have a one-time experience, but we need to have a lifestyle. The Bible teaches that we are to be continually led by the Spirit because this delivers us from the law. And we need to ask ourselves, are we truly Spirit-led individuals? Do we have a, a close relationship with God? When was the last time that we truly were led by the Spirit until we did what Jesus Christ wanted us to do and had great spiritual results. We're talking about end time revival. The revival that is prophesied for Jerusalem and the nation of Israel will only be accomplished if we are spirit led individuals and the end time revival as well. It is beyond our abilities, but if God tells us what to do, we can do the simplest things and God will work through us. The apostles were arrested for preaching and put in prison. The angel came in the middle of the night, opened the prison doors and released them out of prison. And he said to them, go back, stand in the temple and preach. You know, human logic would tell us to run for the hills, right? We just got out of jail. I mean, if we had, we had escaped from prison, think about it. But that wasn't what God told them to do. And while they were standing in the temple preaching, everyone knew that they had been thrown in jail the night before. 
when the Sanhedrin sent for them, the jailers came back and exclaimed, oh, we, don't, we don't know what's going on here. They found the prison safe and the doors were locked. And yet the disciples were out of prison and back in the temple preaching again. Can, can you imagine the members of the Sanhedrin looking at one another and saying, uh, what in the world is happening here? Well, God knows how to get people. He, he knows how to let people know that he is at work, doesn't he? And if we're going to see the great revival like we, they had in the book of Acts, we are going to need supernatural actions by God, just like happened 2,000 years ago. And folks, the prophecy foretell the revival. Does the book of Revelation frighten you? Do its symbols confuse you? For centuries, the book of Revelation has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. In Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, volume one. Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. This 10-part definitive DVD series and 268-page comprehensive commentary book covers the first 12 chapters of the book of Revelation, featuring on-location photography, classic artwork, and symbolic illustrations. You'll walk away with complete understanding and peace about the events happening during the final years on Earth. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding as you dig into the original intent of the book, answering the mysterious prophecies and symbols of the book of Revelation. Don't miss this special offer. Call now, 1-800-END-TIME, or go to endtime.com to order. Call or go online now to get this comprehensive Bible study. We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith in the hearts of Christians around the world we will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. These scriptures and many others plainly tell us that we're not under the law, but we are under grace. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. And we have been made free from sin. So the second thing in Daniel 70, there's a lot in this prophecy, remember. Number two was to make an end of sin. Hebrews 9, 25 through 26, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus put away sin by offering himself. Well, how do we take advantage of his sacrifice? Well, we, we do that by being 
by obeying the gospel found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The apostle Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand, very key, by which you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So how do you obey the gospel or the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus at Calvary? Well, you do it spiritually by being born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, a person cannot see or enter the kingdom of God without being born again. This is be John chapter three. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said back to him, how how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's John 3, 3 through 7. So I wanted to place this point at the top of the list for a reason. Yes, we know that there are apocalyptic, apocalyptic events prophesied for the end time. There, there could be instances where one's life could be taken during the tribulation or during some of the wars. However, we also know the Lord could call any one of us home at any time, perhaps today, perhaps tomorrow. So why wait then? That, would, that was the big question. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 6, 2. You say, well, how how are you born again? Well, for a conclusive explanation of the biblical plan of salvation being born again, call 1-800-363-8463 and ask for the free brochure, what do you mean born again? Or simply visit www.endtime.com. Dot com, and go down to the bottom of the homepage and there's the question and you can read the brochure. What do you mean born again? Don't wait. Be born again today. Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And think of it. This was all prophesied 550 years before Jesus even came to the earth. And yet it's a, it's a prophecy foretelling What would happen when the Messiah came, right? And God gave all of this prophecy to Daniel for our benefit. Man, don't you love the prophecies of the Bible? So, number three in the prophecy of Daniel's 70 week of years. The reconciliation for iniquity. uh, This will be 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, if we're not careful, 
it's easily for these, these biblical terms to slide right by us and, and, and they, they won't have any meaning for us. But when we understand their meaning, it becomes so wonderful for us. So what does this word reconcile mean? The Latin word silo means to bring together. Con means with and re means again. So the word reconcile means to bring together again. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We, we were separated by our sin, but he came to bring us back into relationship with him. So it's very, very important that we understand these principles so we can apply them to our lives, right? I want to be reconciled to Jesus Christ, don't you? How did God accomplish this? Well, he did that by not imputing our trespasses unto us. So we could be brought back together again, the human race, the, the pre-Adam and Eve scenario before they had sinned. Once we are born again, as long as we are doing our best to serve God, if, if we do fall, if we do make a mistake, God does not impute that sin to us. And this is the secret to having perfect peace with God. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, no, everybody's living with condemnation. No, no, that's simply not the case. Once you're born again and you're doing your best to serve God, if we stumble and fall, he will not impute our trespasses to us. And this is the way that we, he is able to bring us um, into a perfect peace with him to reconcile us with him. Man, once you get these principles, this is such so awesome. It will completely change your walk with God. Romans chapter 4 verse 8 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You know, as human beings, the principle of imputation is hard for us to come to grips with because we've all been taught that there is no free lunch, right? I mean, we feel that we have to deserve everything that comes to us. And we can't deserve salvation. That's impossible. Because Jesus already paid the price and he offers it to us, to really to all of us, simply because he loves us. Ephesians 2 verses 15 through 16. Having abolished in his fleshly, in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through the death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan demanded the penalty of sin from him unjustly, which was death. And, but he had never sinned. And as a result, the power of sin and death, that law, the, it was broken. The law, the law of sin and death 
had ruled mankind for 4,000 years. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, sin entered into the human race. So for the next 4,000 years, the law of sin and death reigned. And uh, it's found in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. It says, the soul that sinneth, this is the law of sin and death. The soul that sins, it shall die. But when Jesus died and he had never sinned, he broke that power so that we are no longer, we no longer live under the law of sin and death. Romans uh, 8, 8 verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We don't live under the power of the law of sin and death, which says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Instead, we live under the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. And the key to reconciliation is God does not impute our trespasses to us Once you've been born again, and again, the key is that you're doing the absolute best you can. But if you make a mistake, you repent and you get up and you keep on going. So the act of Calvary, there was so much to that, that I think the best messages on Calvary and the act of Calvary, the death, burial, and the resurrection, they've never been taught yet. Because I don't think our finite mind can fully comprehend Everything, the, the, um, the gravity of the situation that happened at Calvary and the God of the eternal God would robe himself in flesh and die for us on a cross. And what a wonderful event that was. Romans chapter four, verse six, even as David also described it, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. We can actually be made righteous without works. When we're, when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, our sin is imputed to Jesus and his righteousness is imputed to us. We become as righteous as Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ had never sinned. But he was made sin that he might be made the righteousness of God, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Remember, he's reconciling us back together to him. Can you imagine Jesus being made sin? Remember in the garden when Jesus was praying, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Was Jesus trying to avoid dying? No. I mean, many people have heroically died for their causes, right? Jesus knew that he was going to be made sin and he had never known sin one time. And he was the only, he he was the holy God of the universe. And when he was on the cross and the sins of the world were poured on him, he felt the remorse of every uh, adulterer, a a homosexual, a, a murderer, a thief, uh, every kind of uh, sin. And he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God did not forsake him. He, he couldn't because he was God. But he had the God forsaken feeling that every person gets when they have committed a horrible act of sin. 
He had all the sins of the world dumped on him and they were imputed unto onto him on the cross. And he was made sin for us who, who he had never known sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All of us can be made the righteousness of God in only in Jesus Christ. Then number four. There's a lot in the the 70 weeks of years prophecy, right? I told you we're going to teach it maybe different than you've ever heard. Number four, everlasting righteousness. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever human beings that are sanctified. When we are born again, the, the perfection of Jesus Christ is imputed to us. There are two kinds of perfection in the Bible. Number one, there's the perfection of conscience. Hebrews 10, 2. For then would uh, they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. So perfection, there's the perfection of the conscience and there's perfection as one grows into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. If we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and are born again, we are sanctified. This means when God looks at us, he sees us as perfect. Isn't isn't that amazing? You say, well, no, no, I, I made a mistake. He sees you through his blood. You've been sanctified. And the Bible says, remember, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. You say, well, I'll just go do whatever I want then. No, no. Because the key is, is you're born again and you're doing your absolute best to live for God. And if you make a mistake, just get up, brush yourself off, repent and keep on going. You're doing your best. That's the key. You don't want to sin. But if you make a mistake, then get up, repent and keep going. Now, the Bible says if you sin willfully, now we've got a whole nother problem on our hands. Okay, that's a whole nother discussion for another day. Hebrews 9, 9 which was a figure for the time then present in which we offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. The writer of Hebrews is saying under the Old Testament law, they offered all these gifts and sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats, but they could not make the comer thereunto perfect. The perfection was as pertaining to the conscience that they were going to to come again the next year to offer another bullock, another turtle dove, or another goat in order to try to get rid of this sin. So there's a lot in Daniel's 70 week of years, and we'll continue on in our next segment with all of these precious prophecies. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, You can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. 
When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at end time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. The plan of salvation that Jesus Christ purchased on Calvary is amazing. And I hope we fully grasp the situation and what really happened. I mean, once we are born again, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You wonder why a a Christian is so happy. No condemnation. You say, well, I've met some Christians that weren't so happy. Well, they may need another Bible study. You know, we get in Christ Jesus when we are born again through his plan of salvation. Hebrews 10, 2, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. He's saying that the law could not make the comers thereunto perfect. However, when Jesus came with the new plan of salvation, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, number five. In Daniel 9, 24 through 27, the Bible says when the Messiah come, he would seal up the vision and the prophecy. Daniel 12, verse 8 through 9 reveals this. It said, and I heard, but I understood not. Then said, I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. God sealed up the vision until the time of the end. That's where you and I are in the end time. Daniel prayed to understood his own writings, but the Lord said, nope, these words are sealed and closed until the time of the end. And finally, to anoint the holy. John 12, 3 through 5. Uh, then took Mary a, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? 
Judas criticized the anointing of Jesus. Matthew 14, 6, and then 8 through 9. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. She hath done what she could. She come aforehand to anoint my body for burying. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this gospel shall be preached, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. This scripture shows how important the anointing of Jesus was by Mary. Jesus instructed the disciples to tell the story of um, how Mary had anointed him before he went to the cross and for his burial, wherever the gospel was preached. This was to be spoken of as a memorial to her. So there's a lot included. All of this is in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. There's a lot in here. Very complex prophecy. But now I want to shift gears. Now we need to understand the meaning of Daniel's 70-week prophecy because the, the culmination of this is concerning the times just ahead and a very important prophecy for Israel. There's a lot of questions swirling around because of all the turmoil going on in Israel. But the Bible prophesies what's coming in the near future. Prophecies foretell that the Palestinians the world community, and the Antichrist will make a peace agreement with Israel. And that agreement will place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement between Jews and Muslims and will allow for the building of Israel's third temple. This will be in the very near future. And there have been two Jewish temples up until now. The the peace treaty is going to allow for the building of the third temple on the Temple Mount in the very near future. It is possible that the turmoil in Israel could lead to a possible peace agreement with the quartet and everybody calling for things to stop and criticizing um, them and and, and pushing for, in their eyes, the only solution, a two-state solution, which is exactly the scenario the Bible says is going to happen. And, you know, this treaty, it's also going to establish the final borders of Israel. Recognizing Israel's right to exist and to have a homeland in the Middle East. And when this agreement is signed, it's going to mark the beginning of the final seven years to the Battle of Armageddon. This prophecy started all the way back with the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem after the 70 years of exile when Daniel and his... um, Contemporaries were carried down into Babylonian captivity. And now it's going to culminate all the way just ahead of us now with the final seven years to the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ, spanning just about 2,500 years. You know, if there is a peace agreement signed that doesn't do the, the, the prophesied characteristics or have the prophesied characteristics of this agreement, then it's not the one that starts the final seven years. And furthermore, the Antichrist will participate in this very important agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, even though we probably won't know who he is at that point. The prophecy of of Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is a 490 year prophecy given to us in three segments. Let's begin by looking at verse 24. 
77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. Again, we've been through these to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophesy and to anoint the most holy place. Well, what, what is meant by the 77s? Well, God is telling us that there will be 77 year periods of time in the prophecy. How do we know that each of the sevens is a seven year period? Well, in the latter part of the prophecy in Daniel 9, 27, it states that the event called the abomination of desolation will occur in the middle, halfway through the last seven So if we can tell how long the last half of the seven is, then all we have to do is to multiply by two to know how long the full period of seven is, right? I mean, that's easy enough. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 15 through 21, that the abomination of desolation would start, that would be the the event that would be the catalyst that would launch us into the great tribulation. There are six different scriptures that say the great tribulation will last three and one half years. Um, Daniel 7, 25, Revelation 13, 5, Daniel 12, 7, Revelation 11, 2, Revelation 11, 3, and Revelation 12, 14. Therefore, if the last half of the last seven is three and one half years, then the first half of the last seven has to be three and a half years, right? And this means that the entire 70th seven is seven years long. So obviously the other 69 sevens are each seven years long. And this lets us know that we're looking at a seven 70 year periods of time or seven years times 70 equals 490 years. So the segments, when they're all put together, equal 490 years. So let's look at the beginning of the 490 years because this this prophecy is awesome and it's going to culminate just ahead of us now. And it's going to tell us the future of Israel. A lot of questions swirling about Israel right now, but this prophecy lets us know what's coming. So the beginning of the 490 years. Jerusalem uh, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. In Daniel 9, verses 1 through 3, it tells us that Daniel was given the 490-year prophecy during the first year of King Darius, around 538 B.C. After the Medes and the Persians had replaced Babylon as the leading of the world empire, that's when Daniel was given the prophecy. Daniel 9.25, this would be the NIV, reveals that the 490 years begins with the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. And I'm quoting, Know and understand, from, and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, And it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So most likely this decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem refers to the prophesied decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Uh, That's Ezra 6.3. 
which occurred around, it was around 538 BC, if our dates are accurate. Some of the dates are a little sketchy back then. Um, and, you know, the history and the calendars that we have for that time period are, they're fairly unreliable. However, this is very key because when this 490 year time period begins, that's not really what's important. What's important is to understand what happens at the end of the 69 sevens or 483 years. Remember, there's 69 times seven years, so 483 years. And what happens during the final seven-year period, which is just ahead of us now. So, very important when you're trying to figure out this prophecy. The prophecy is given in three segments. In verse 25, I just explained that the prophecy is given in three segments. Seven sevens, or 49 years. Sixty-two sevens, or 434 years. And then Daniel 9, 27 states that there will be a final seven-year period just ahead of us. So the prophecy is given in three segments, totaling, when you push them all together, 490 years. The order is 49 years, 434 years, and then a final seven-year period. So then the revealing of the Messiah. Remember uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27 reveals the six things I went through in the first segment about what would happen when the Messiah would come and the wonderful, awesome plan of salvation and all of that come to pass in great detail. Every single messianic prophecy came to pass. Jesus fulfilled every one. Well, Daniel 9, 26 tells us that the 430 year segment will end with two major events. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Well, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. So the passage states that the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, will be cut off at the end of the 69th Seven, or what would that be? Um, 483 at the end of the total 483 years, because there's only seven years left now. Well, then it says after the Messiah is cut off, the temple and the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. So this come to pass in intricate detail, everybody. And because we know the dates, the dates that occur to this prophecy that pertain to this prophecy are very, very accurate. And so we'll go over that in just a moment. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever, it is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, we opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events 
and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 11:33. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. So, wait, wait, wait a minute. We know when Jerusalem was destroyed. It was destroyed when the Romans, by the Romans in 70 AD. The prophecy specifically says that Messiah would come and be cut off before Jerusalem was destroyed. So we know that Messiah had to come before 70 AD. Well, did a messianic figure appear in the world shortly before Jerusalem was destroyed? Well, yes. Jesus came and fulfilled every single one of the prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. Well, was Jesus cut off like the prophecy said that he would be? Well, of course, being crucified would certainly qualify for being cut off. And this gives us the absolute proof that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, that's one proof. There's many. That brings us to the gap. According to verses 26 and 27, two things were to happen after the 483 years and before the final seven years. The Messiah was to be cut off in Jerusalem and the temple mount, uh, or I should say, and the temple would be destroyed. Jesus was crucified sometime between 26 AD and 38 AD. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in 70 AD. So notice that there was about a, a 30 to 40 year 30 to 40 years between these two events. This indicates that there is a gap between the 69th and the 70th seven or the 70th seven, seven year period. And that's obviously the reason the prophecy was given in segments. If there was no gap, then the prophecy would simply have just said, hey, uh, it's, it's a, this is a 490 year prophecy. But instead it gives us to us in a 49 year, a 434 year and a seven year, a final seven year. So the length of the gap is not disclosed to us in the prophecy. However, we do know today that this gap is about 2,000 years between the 483 and the final seven. And we still live in that gap period right now. But the final seven years will begin very soon. So understanding the final seven years. And you want to know the future of Israel? This is going to be it. This is what's coming. So what the world community is pushing for is a peace agreement. So we've already proven that one seven in the prophecy equals seven years. The final seven years in this prophecy is described in Daniel 9, 27. And I chose the, the new inter- international version as well. It states, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of that seven, he will put the, the, an end to the sacrifice and the offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Well, it's an incredible amount of information in one small verse. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is an incredible amount of information. In order to understand verse 27, you need to answer five questions. Who's the he that will confirm the covenant? And that's, that's an easy question to answer because... He does three things. He confirms the covenant, causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, sets up the abomination of desolation. Well, Daniel 11, 21 and 22 states the Antichrist will be the prince of the covenant. So it's the Antichrist that will confirm the covenant. 
Daniel 11.31 says that the Antichrist and his partners will take away the daily sacrifice. And it also says that the Antichrist and his partners will place the abomination that make it desolate. So the Antichrist is the one that confirms the covenant. The Antichrist causes the sacrifice and the oblation to stop. The Antichrist places the abomination of desolation. So it really becomes easy at that point. The, the he in Daniel 9.27 is the Antichrist. Number two, what is the covenant? Well, Genesis 15, 18, it explains. It says, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, unto thy seed have I given this land. And from the river in Egypt, all the way up to the great river, the river Euphrates. All the way back in the first book of the Bible, God made a covenant with Abraham that the Holy Land would be given to his descendants for a homeland. And this is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. The third question, what's the confirmation of the covenant? Well, if the covenant of God's promise that Abraham's descendants would live in the promised land, then what's the confirmation of the covenant? Well, we've already proven that the Antichrist is the he of Daniel 9.27. So it follows that he is the one who will confirm the covenant. In other words, the Antichrist will confirm Israel's right to a homeland in the promised land. This will be recognized by the international community um, globally. Well, presently, Israel's enemies deny that she has a right to a homeland there. It's in the news every day. Most of the Arab countries have to recognize Israel's right to exist. Some of them already have, but not all of them. And when the confirmation of the covenant takes place, the Antichrist in the world community will confirm Israel's right to exist in the Holy Land within agreed upon borders. And this agreement will also establish a Palestinian homeland in the area of Judea, Samaria, commonly referred to as the West Bank. So we know that in all of this turmoil and things that's taking place, um, the recent uh, rockets that were uh, launched at Israel and things like that from Hamas in Gaza, Israel's not going to be destroyed. Israel does have, will retain control of Israel proper and the city of Jerusalem all the way throughout the end time and beyond even. They'll lose control of part of the city at the Battle of Armageddon, but when the Lord comes back at the Mount of Olives, they're going to gain all that back and much more. The fourth question we need to answer is what's meant by the stopping of the sacrifices? Well, the Middle East Peace Agreement will place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement between Muslims and Jews, according to Revelation 11, 1 and 2. Israel will be allowed to build her third temple without disturbing the Muslim holy places. And when the temple is completed, animal sacrifices will be offered just like they were in the Old Testament. And these are the sacrifices that the Antichrist will stop, probably at the urging of many animal rights activists. And then the fifth question what is the event called the abomination of desolation? Well, the abomination of desolation appears many times in scriptures. Uh, in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said that the abomination of desolation would stand in the holy place. The holy place is in the temple or at least on the temple mount. The apostle Paul described this in more detail in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. He said the second coming of Jesus would not occur until the man of sin, the son of perdition or the Antichrist, 
was revealed. And he went on to say that the Antichrist would actually sit in the temple of God, claiming to be God. So where does the abomination of desolation occur? In the temple, in a rebuilt Jewish temple, just in the very near future. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist will sit in that temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, we know how to read and understand uh, Daniel 9.27, right? And when we see a peace treaty signed between Israel and the Palestinians, which confirms Israel's right to a homeland in the Middle East, this is going to happen in the very near future. This is what the world community, the the Middle East Quartet, is talking about this. They believe in a two-state solution. It'll also place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement. That's already been proposed more than once. You say, well, that's impossible. There there are people that have always already proposed that, and the Jews actually are willing to do that. I've talked to uh, some of them that are in the know over there, and they would be willing to do that to get their third synagogue built. And it's going to allow Israel to build its third temple. And that is the beginning. If that peace agreement has these elements, that's going to be the beginning of the final seven years to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. In the middle of that final seven years, the Antichrist is going to stop the sacrifices that stand in the rebuilt temple and proclaim to be God himself. The sacrifices will be resumed. The the priests are already trained. They've got all the implements in the Temple Institute in Israel to resume sacrifices now. All they need is they need to get a peace agreement signed. They need to get uh, to produce a red heifer for the purification sacrifice. And then they could start the temple ritual, sacrificing. Now, this is the event. This is this event when the Antichrist will stand in the temple proclaiming to be God That event is called the abomination of desolation, which begins the final three and one half years to the battle of Armageddon. And this final three and one half years is what Jesus called in Matthew 24, 21, the great tribulation. So folks, this is the prophecy with a date on it. It's a 490 year prophecy, but it culminates with a final seven year prophecy. And it is very critical that we understand the confirmation of the covenant and the events of the final seven years. I mean, we, we, you and I in, in 2021 are getting ready to watch the events of this final seven year period come to pass in the very near future. You don't have to wonder, well, you know, will Israel be annihilated? Is she going to be knocked to her knees and things like that? No, Israel's going to be here be intact. God's got his hands upon Israel. Israel will go through some turmoil. There's no doubt. The Bible talks about it. There's going to be a great earthquake. A lot of things are going to happen. But Israel will remain all the way throughout. And a Middle East peace agreement will soon be signed between the Palestinians and the Israelis. The world community is pushing for that and they have been for years now. And the Abraham Accords could actually aid in that. And, you know, Jerry Kushner just created a, uh, an entity to help promote that and to keep the Abraham Accords going. That could lead to the Palestinian and Israeli peace agreement. We're not for sure on that yet. But when this historic event takes place, 
We know that there are seven years remaining until the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. And that's why we call the confirmation of the covenant or this future peace agreement, the prophecy with a date on it. There's going to be seven years left. Now, aren't you thankful for the prophecies of the Bible? You don't have to second guess them ever. The prophecies always come to pass, regardless of who is in office, which president or prime minister is in office. This prophecy is going to come to pass just like the Bible says it will. There's going to be a peace agreement in the near future that's going to start the final seven years to the Battle of Armageddon when the world governing armies will come down to enforce UN Security Council resolutions against Israel to, in an effort to try to get her to give up part of the city of Jerusalem. And she's never going to do that. Israel's going to fight for that all the way to the end. There will come a time when part of the city is captured, but she's never going to um, yield all of it. And that's when the Lord's going to come back, plant his feet on the Mount of Olives and fight on behalf of Israel with the saints that come with him at the battle of Armageddon. The Bible is crystal clear on these prophecies. We don't have to guess. So if you're wondering what the future of Israel is, this is laid out in Daniel's 70 week of years prophecies back in Daniel 9 verses 24 through 27. So it really gives kind of a peace of mind. Should we pray for Israel? Absolutely. Should we support Israel? Absolutely. But I know it eases my mind knowing that in the future, Israel will remain intact. Our job is to get as many Jews as we can back to Israel proper because the Bible says in the end, all of Israel is going to be saved. It's going to be a great time of revival. It's end time revival. And oh, aren't you looking forward to that day? Thank you for joining me. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com. 